Dios en el arco, la defensa es colosal. González, Orlando, La Torre, Nicolás, Fuentes y Chumpitas, Chalemifrin y Cubillas y el gran Pericoleón, Bailón y Alberto Gallardo. Hello and welcome to the Peruvian Waltz. We've got World Cup qualifying action coming up this Thursday as Peru travel to Uruguay um, before we host Paraguay next week. Uh, with me today is Renato and Kevin Rasa. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm just nervous week coming already and Rack's already here. And, and as of this recording, as soon as Peru versus Uruguay, Montevideo, I'm very nervous. <laughs> Yeah, there's nerves going around. Kevin isn't there, the team on their way out to Montevideo now. How are you, how are you doing? Oof, my nerves are hitting their peak. I'm sorry if you guys hear any background noise. I got some more going on in the house. But yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait. I know the boys are ready, so my faith is, you know, 100% right now. Yeah, that's what's been going around, isn't it? Let's make sure we've got faith um, in the side in Garaca. Uh, like we say, it's uh, Uruguay first uh, Thursday, um, and to kick us off uh, the show today, Renato's um, had a uh, interview with uh, David from Uruguay Heroes, uh, who's going to give uh, the Uruguayan side of um, what's going on in um, in the build up to uh, this game. All right, and I'm joined here by David, uh, also known as um, the. Warriors of Uruguay. Um, you guys can follow him at um, Uruguay Heroes on Twitter. Um, David, introduce yourself, please. Yes, uh, hi there. Uh, thanks for having me here. Um, obviously, big week is lies ahead. Um, well, I'm I'm the admin or the creator of the Uruguayan Heroes um, Twitter account uh, at the moment. Uruguay Heroes because the, the initial account has been suspended. Hopefully, back soon. Um, uh, but yeah, I'm running this on a daily basis and uh, following Uruguayan football, mostly the national team and the players playing abroad. Um, and yeah, international football is back, so I'm, I'm really happy. Yeah, and definitely, especially now that I re- we're able to have an Uruguayan perspective speaking with us right now, um, especially considering that this this topic of the podcast will be a preview of Peru versus Uruguay. That's happening as of this recording later this week. Um, tell me, David. Um, what? Do you, how do you see the Uruguay national team currently, given their current state now? That seems like they've found new life under Diego Alonso after the sacking of Oscar Tires. I think it's the most positive um, position or the most 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 positive feeling since the 2018 World Cup. Um, on the Tabares. Um, I would say even back to the 2014 uh, qualifying campaign for the World Cup, there were clear um, signs that things were not progressing. And the World Cup in 2018 uh, was a good one. Uh, was, uh, I mean, the game against Portugal, we can all remember. And it was a good feeling around this tournament. And Uruguay did well, showed well the, the character. But overall, in this last, I would say, eight years on the Tabares, um, there were glaring errors and yeah, just re- recurring um, teams, which which frustrated me as a fan, but also um, um, what I could see a lot of other people, Uruguayans, Uruguay fans, uh, who want to see the best for the team. Uh, and this, this qualification process, um, everything accumulated, I think. Uh, Uruguay 
Um, with all respect to countries, for example, like Peru, like Chile, like Ecuador, uh, like Colombia, but Uruguay should not be involved so heavily in the mix with these type of countries when you have a squad that Uruguay currently have. Because simply, and I know football is not decided on paper, but simply when you look at the squad, the players Uruguay have available to them, and when you look at some of the other squads where Uruguay are now competing with to go to the World Cup, um, it's a really bad reflection on, on, on the coaching staff and also on the players, to be fair. They, they should have done better. But it was clear for me and for a lot of other people that Tavares was not progressing this team in the right direction and simply did not get the best out of the players, not by far. So with Diego Alonso coming in with a new lease of life, um, it's. I think we are in a good position right now and certainly not finished the job yet because two big games coming up, but there's reason for optimism uh, with La Celeste, I think. Yeah, that's what I'm also seeing the same thing with the Uruguay national team. As you mentioned, like, their like current run in the qualifiers has been really hit and miss. Like, especially in the miss part, because you gotta consider that the with the type of squad that Uruguay has, like especially with their midfield, like with a squad like that, you would be surprised to even know that they're not even like directly qualified into Qatar yet. But unfortunately, with bad management from Tarabes, who I personally think he should have been sacked after the 2018 World World Cup, and it, I just feel like it did more harm to the Uruguay national team than anything. And it was already time for a change. Although I will say this, that Diego Alonso is already coming into like a little bit of a, like of a hot fire bath. But you definitely did saw like what he can definitely bring to the national team after beating Paraguay and I believe Venezuela in a really nice result. And speaking of like also the squad, um, tell me like how do you think of the current like players have been called up by Diego Alonso? Well, I mean. With Alonso, I think his impact has been really good, but not everything is perfect for sure because Facino is still caught up, who is, has played, I think, like, well, probably four full games in total for Inter this, this season. And it was who has been comfortably one of our worst players in the last two or three years. Caceres is still in the squad. Uh, Godin is still uh, a starter. And Godin did well in the last two games, but I mean, these are just, just type, these are just the type of players which um, are still getting picked and on the, in the squad. While, for example, Manuel Ugarte or Cesar Arajo from Orlando City are good alternatives for Fecino. Um, and while Martin Cáceres played and Damian Suarez is still not playing, so to say everything is good, everything is fine. No, that's not the case. But um, the squad overall, I'm happy with it. Um, I think um, and. Above all that, you know, because it's all good and well having the squad of players, which we have already had for a lot of years now. It's also obviously the way you you are trying to let them play the way um, you want to play. And with Alonso in charge, regardless of the squad, because there are two or three players or maybe more who I don't agree with, regardless of, regardless of this, uh, Uruguay, when we take the field, are certainly playing uh, a style which resembles... Um, Uruguay should play, you know, with, with intensity, with aggressive, with, with aggressiveness, but also um, wanting to have the ball, wanting to be the protagonist on the ball, not too passive. For example, the way uh, the game away at Peru, I think it's two years ago, 
which was a draw, if I'm not wrong. Um, Uruguay took the lead for, uh, from a Dallas Queta goal. And afterwards, Uruguay just were so passive, waiting on Peru uh, to take the game to Uruguay. And basically being just the opposite of, of what you want to see, no proactivity. And this is with Alonso in charge now. This is changing. And that is the most, impos- most positive and most important thing, I think. Because what I always believe in football is that you can, have, you can be a coach and have your own ideas and you should. But you also have to be looking at the squad of players you have and you have to base your idea or your way of playing around that, these players as well. And certainly when you're a national team manager, because when you are a club manager and you have a certain style of play, you can buy players who fit this style of play. But when you are a national team manager, you have a limited uh, amount of players you can work with. And yeah, this is, this is where you have to base your ideas of, in my opinion. Oh, that is some that's also very true. Um I will say something that I am interested regarding um Diego Alonso's Uruguay is that they're they are now going with a 4-4-2 formation, especially like now that one player that Alonso has brought to the squad is Mateus Oliveira. And I'd say that based on the two last Uruguay's last two games, I think he's he's changed the left side, left back side of Uruguay, which says a lot considering they have a huge ton of depth in the left back spot. Also, another interesting bet that I saw that Alonso did was Facundo Pelleristri on like the right side, which I I know it scratched a lot of heads with some with a lot of Uruguayans, considering that Pelleristri is not really playing with his club. But you saw like the tactical work Pelleristri was doing like against in those two matches, and I do imagine Alonso is going to like start him against Peru and like in, in, later this week. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, I also gotta say that I do Arscayeta like as a starter. Like I feel like he gives like a lot of like Uruguay like a lot of like life on the left side as well. Um, regarding also on um, Peru, since they're that's Uruguay's opponents. Um, David, how do you see Peru currently when comparing to Uruguay in their current situations and just the squad or like even in their, what they're fighting for? Because we gotta keep in mind that both teams are still like getting like. Aiming for direct qualification to Qatar, and I, the best way I can describe this is a do or die match. What, what do you think on that? Yeah, I mean, I think Peru. I, to be honest, Uruguay and Peru have had an interesting recent history. Obviously, that was the the, the quarterfinal game in the 2019 Copa. But what, I mean, I think Peru is just like I said it before. On the Gareca, I think they're an interesting team, and they are a team that I've been doing well for sure in the recent years. Uh, in the Copa, but also obviously going to the World Cup in 2018, which was, I think, for the first time in like 30 years. So I have a lot of admiration for Peru. And to be honest, I also like the spirit of this team overall. I mean, you can also, you can obviously have periods where things are not going well, but um, you know what? I think it's, it's looking forward to the game. I think it will, it will not be an easy game because you know what Peru have? they can hurt our backs back line because Godin is still probably playing. And when Uruguay at home uh, trying to win the game, there will be um, some space um, behind the back line. Um, and I'm not going to say that I know absolutely who's going to play with Peru. I'm not sure right now, but I know Peru has always had um, pace in the front line, uh, willing to exp- or able to expose this. So that will be an interesting thing. Um, and Peru obviously 
has become has become known for Anagareca to play some good football. Uh, and I think it will be interesting to see how they will handle themselves in the Centenario, which will be packed, will be a sold-out um, stadium uh, with Uruguay and the fans obviously expecting a win and to qualify for, for the World Cup. So I, I'm, I'm a bit nervous about the game. I, I'm confident about the game. that We can win, but Peru is this type of team that can also really, um, how do you say it, well, make, maybe a surprise. So we will see. Yeah, and the part that you mentioned about Peru being a team with great spirit is something that currently describes Peru right now at the moment because keep in mind that they really had a good start in the qualifiers. Oh, we fortunately lost our first four matches, and we thought that everything was hopeless until we had to beat Ecuador and Quito. And you saw that throughout the, in the qualifiers currently that Peru has made quite surprises, especially recently beating Colombia and Barranquilla, which is a, a victory that I thought was not even possible, but... I, it was something I was totally happy with, but it's going to be an interesting match. And the best way I can describe for these two teams that whoever wins will have, they'll know where their future in Qatar will be at. And I also have to know that Uruguay's their last match is against Chile, which is also a direct rival against Peru. Depending if Uruguay wins or not, that can also like be a role in like Chile's as well. So hopefully. Maybe things will go in our team's favor. But one thing, the last thing I want to mention, though, is Uruguay is going through a little, let's say, a generational change. Um, We're now seeing, like, players like Cavani and Suarez getting on the older side and losing, like, their magic. But you're also seeing, like, like players rising up to the occasion. Like, you're – and also Godin, he's also getting on the older side as well. 36, I think, already – Um. Seeing players like Ronald Ararujo, um, um, Darwin Nunez. And they, of course, Uruguay have like a midfield that's still like quite young, like almost in their mid-20s, like Valverde and Bentacur. Like, how do you see this generational change of Uruguay? Um, I mean, it's an interesting one. Uh, I think Uruguay, the funny thing with this change is that when Suarez and Cavani and also Godin um, are about to retire, I don't think... Those these players will play um, um, two years from now, um, and when you lose these t- these type of players, these three uh, uh, especially, you are losing probably three of the best Uruguay had in history. So um, that is a really big loss. But when you look at the the generation coming up, and certainly the quantity of of, of talent, um, it it softens the blow, I think, because Uruguay um, in my lifetime I've never seen. A generation coming up with so many talents, so many players playing abroad in big clubs, doing well. I mean, that's just really exciting to see. And I think this this generational generational change probably started in like 2017, 18, when Bentecourt Valverde came into the team. And slow, slowly but surely, it's gotten more and more. And I think these these players, Valverde, Bentecourt, Arajo, who I would, and Nunez as well, obviously Darwin, um, they will be, or they are already probably ready to take over and take over the torch, basically. You all, you already saw it with Valverde in the last few games. Arajo is just ready to play everywhere, basically. Right back, center back, left back. Doesn't really matter for him. Um, and these are players that that really um, will shape, this, shape the national team up in the upcoming years. And um, it's taken uh, maybe some tough days on a Tabres for sure. It's not been an easy change, but now we are getting 
towards um, well reaping the how do you say the benefits from it because I think their generation generational change will really shape up in the next two years and Uruguay will have a new look and hopefully this can be under Diego Alonso um, who I think is the right man uh, to do this yeah and yes I can definitely say um, it's a, that's the interesting thing about Uruguay like. They may be like us, like a tiny country, but you also gotta remind yourself how like well the football world they got. Like, no matter the population, they're producing footballers like no tomorrow. And some of them are, most of them are playing in sort of reputable clubs. And few of them in the current squad are playing for the like the probably the best clubs in the world currently. And something that even like yeah. countries like Peru so, yeah. are in, like especially are jealous. Like we envy that. Even like Uruguay, where a population of three million can produce like these type of players, and Peru, with a population of thirty-two million, can like can really struggle like to get bring players like even to Europe. But it's also I'm thankful we have a coach like Gareca. Yeah, I mean, I understand the frustration. I mean, it's just for, but it can also change so easily. I mean, Ecuador, I think, is a country also now is get, they have a generation coming up, uh, which is really promising. And I mean, the thing is with the years of Gareca now and with Peru absolutely being for me a protagonist in South American football in the last few years, um, these things can really help when it comes to inspiring a new generation. Uh, so hopefully this will be the case. Uh, but Peru obviously still have, I think, really good players also playing in Europe. But you're right, the quantity um, is not probably as you would wish. Um, and for Uruguay, it's quite unique what is going on now because for Uruguay, it's never been like this in terms of quantity of players playing in Europe and doing well. Um, so yeah, I mean, let's hope let's hope we we can see a Peruvian uh, top player uh, soon. I mean, there has have been for sure, but the top player like Paulo Guerrero was, I think, maybe it's a bit inconsistent, but I liked him a lot in German football for sure. Uh, so let's hope we can see this soon again. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, even if it may not seem like it's soon, I'm sure there will be like a player or two playing in one of the biggest clubs in the world. But not just that, but also even like succeeding Paulo Guerrero, because at some point we're going to have to find his long term successor. I I can name you a few, but that will probably take me all day. <laughs> but yeah, um, thank you, David, for joining me in. Um, before we cut um, end this off, um, do you want to give a few final words? I mean, thanks for having me here. I enjoyed the chat. Um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a really interesting game um, and a nerfy game, absolutely. Because for Uruguay, if we win, we are in a good position. Um, and Peru, I think even if you guys lose, um, which I hope, to be honest, <laughs> I, I think you're still... You. It's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like you're still a do or die. <laughs> I think you're still in... A, in a position where you can qualify from for sure uh, because Chile will not win away in Brazil in my opinion at least uh, Colombia are, are, are below you in points um, so I think you will go into the last game still with good chances to qualify but we will see uh, but I want to thank you for uh, for having me on and uh, yeah you guys can follow me on Twitter Uruguay Heroes and um, yeah let's hope we can all enjoy these last few games in the qualifiers yeah, thank you so much, David, for coming in. And as he already mentioned, you guys can follow him on Twitter. And let's just hope that uh, as of this recording, this upcoming Thursday, it's going to be a partidazo against Uruguay and Peru in the Centenario.
Okay, thank you, Rolotta, uh, and thank you, David, for um, for uh, being uh, involved with us today. Um, Renato, um, thanks for carrying out that interview. It's, um, it's a big game coming up, isn't it? Obviously, um, much relying for both sides um, going into this qualifiers in fourth place, Uruguay, and us in fifth, just a point behind. Uh, we've seen the practice squads coming out over Twitter, and uh, it looks like um, Ramos yeah, could be back in the, in the centre-back over Zambrano. What's your uh, immediate thoughts in the defensive situation? Well, I mean, um, I'm expecting Avian Kula to start on right back, of course, since for obvious reasons. Of course, Alexander Kainz on the left center back. Um, the two big like question marks for Gareca um, for the like in the defense is going to be who starts in that right center back, um, Christian Ramos for Carlos Zambrano, and Miguel Trauco or Marcos Lopez on left back. Regarding right center back, honestly, it. I think it just depends how what Gareca thinks. Like with Christian Ramos, like he's considered the voice of the team, like the one who always gives commands and all. But he's not been going through a good form currently at Alianza Lima. You do worry that form could carry over to the national team. Well, with Carlos Zambrano, is that he was performing very well and surprisingly in the last two qualifiers. And honestly, if it wasn't for him, I feel like we could have like conceded a goal or two. And he all, he's already like coming in with minutes at Boca Junior, so I would want to go with Zambrano, but I, a gut and tells me that maybe Gareca will want to go with a little experience for having like the so-called commander of the defense with Christian Ramos. As for the left back, um, then I think I feel like Marcos Lopez has to start because against Uruguay, I imagine Gareca wants to go for more defensive match, a similar approach that he did in. In Barranquilla against Colombia, Marcos Lopez can offer you a lot of marking, but also like that surprise attacking maneuvers. But I also I just would fear like it would be a risk to play Trauco, considering that he ever since like the last FIFA day he's only played like eight minutes in his club level, where he's not even out of favor in his club, and you're worried that like a lack of like match rhythm can have an effect on Trauco in the qualifiers, but. At the same time, Gadek is a type of man that no matter if you're playing with your club or not, he will trust you no matter what. So it's going to be a big question mark to see what he does for the right center back and left back. Yeah, Kevin, like um, Renato just touched on, Ramos hasn't had the uh, the greatest of starts to center back um, with Alianza. So I've moved into a three-man back um, back line as well. Are you, uh, you as well were championing Zambrano's um, performances um, in the last... Last qualifiers is for you with um, Zambrano, who you'd like to see playing um, alongside Kyans. Yes, I, I think it's Zambrano's moment. He he did well in the previous uh, qualifiers. He did well just now in the in the Boca River, the Clasico, uh, Super Clasico, and I think we gotta go with him because he's in form. He's doing the work. He plays alongside Vincula when he plays in Boca anyway. So you already have them gelling together while they while they play on their on their club team and and for country. I think I think that one's kind of a no-brainer right now, especially since Ramos has kind of is kind of in a rut with Alianza at the moment. I'm not saying don't call him up. Obviously he was, but I don't think it's his moment right now. I think Sambranos is is definitely got the experience and he knows what's at stake. He's he's never played a World Cup before, if you if you all recall. 
this is his last his last ticket to get on the train. If if he doesn't, you know, if, if Peru somehow doesn't make it, that's it. There's, he's not gonna have another chance. I, I I don't think that he would get called up in a, you know for the USA World Cup or anything like that. So my faith is in Sambrano to start, and I don't think Gareca will make any any crazy changes. So I fully expect Trauco to be the one to start as well uh, in the left back position, since Gareca is probably going to rely on experience, on on what's you know been working for him. Um, if we look at the last matches, Trauco was the starter, so I I think he'll go forward with that. Um, that being said, Lopez is always He's there, ready to go. And Trauco knows if he's slipping, Lopez will take the spot. He's already ready for it. Um, aside from that, uh, I, I think the big issue really for, for Peru is that um, I think Movistar Deportes put out, we have 10 players on, on yellow card. Uh, so if, if they get carded, they're going to miss the match against Paraguay. Um, it, it, it goes from, you know, Galese, Calen, Zambrano. Advíncula, Tapia, Yotun, Cartagena, uh, Canchita González, Gabriel Costa, and André Carrillo. Whole squad. I, I think uh, the only people that save themselves are uh, La Padula and Cueva. So we got them for for the for both matches at least. That that's my positive highlight from this moment. Yeah, the, um, there's big questions over how. We're going to uh, we're going to attack this um, game, um, considering the Paraguay game afterwards, taking into account all these um, players one one yellow card away from a suspension as well, adds to the extra the pressure and the uh, difficulties in planning, I guess, for um, for Gareca uh, going into this uh, Uruguay game. Who, as Davis touched upon um, in the previous interview, changed managers and Diego Lons has got them playing a little bit differently. Um, Police three has come on in the uh, right wing position. Uh, he's been an exciting player for them. The, at times, you could say we almost have a similar style and like a counter attacking style. Um, Uruguay and Peru. I, f- I feel like we want to be able to counter attack, and we're like as we did so well against Colombia. Um, but we'll. Uruguay, um, Renato being at home, will there be more of an emphasis on them to come out and try and attack us? Or do you think they may try and sit back and force Peru to come out, which maybe isn't our best weapon? I feel like with this Uruguay side, now that they're under Diego Alonso and in their previous result, they have shown that they're finding new life. I think that their Uruguay is going to be more in more pressure though, because unlike the last two opponents, Venezuela and I think it was Paraguay, Peru are, are fighting to be in the World Cup and they're playing against an opponent that's fighting for something. And Uruguay knows that it's a high pressure match. Um, you mentioned that Uruguay does have a little style similar to how Peru plays or uh, counter attack and styles, but I do think that. Alonso is expected to start um, Pelaristri and Arscayeta on the wings, respectively left and right. Pelaristri showed like a lot of tactical work on the in the last two games for Uruguay, and I do wonder if maybe like Peru can find a way to like to exploit what Pelaristri does, like trying like to 
the hindrance presence is the same with Arscayeta, but you also got to keep in mind that Uruguay is also expected to play Federico Valverde and Rodrigo Ventacur, who are a midfield that would press you to the max, especially Valverde. And another one we can expect is Ronald Ararujo starting on right back. It will be an interesting goal to see Christian Cueva and Ronald Ararujo on, on, the, on that side. Yeah, there's a guy, they've obviously got some world-class players in this um, Uruguay side and we could just keep producing them, Kevin. Um, each time the uh, new players come into the squad, they're incredibly impressive. Um, they've often played with, um, Alonso's got them playing with the two up front, Suarez and Cavani usually, or Darwin Nunez um, and Benfica um, could be rotated in for either of those. I guess this puts a lot of pressure on um, Tapia, especially protecting those two centre-backs and supporting them, but also helping in the midfield with Valverde and Bentancourt, um, causing issues and pressing high. Yeah, that's going to be a major task for Tapia, because, especially because I'm not even sure if Cavani or Suarez are going to start together. I mean, there's been doubts from the Uruguayan press that they think that it's Either it's going to be Suarez or and Darwin Nunez or Cavani and Darwin Nunez. And I know Darwin Nunez is the new kid on the block, but he has shown that he has, has great quality for both Benfica. And he's already scored a couple of times for Uruguay, despite being, like, I think, 22 years old. So big task for Tapia to check, to check out for him. But at the same time, I think it's good news for us that Christian Cueva is back from suspension after the Ecuador match, where we honestly missed his presence so much. And... Lapadula is expected to start, so you hope for that partnership of Lapadula and Cueva to play a big role in our attack, and to hopefully like it can bug off like the midfield of Uruguay and the defenders. Yeah, the front three are key to um, key to Caracas, uh, attacking play, um, and we're, uh, we're also looking like uh, seeing Yoshima Yutun um, in the midfield alongside Pena. Um, Yutun's not been with a club for a little while. He's back in um, Sporting Cristal. Renato, um, could, do you see these as Yotun as the one to really um, take this role in the middle? Or do you see other people maybe in the squad who could be more useful? Uh, maybe, maybe not more useful, but more match ready um, after this period of time between clubs. For better or worse, even like a Yotun with little match rhythm, to you, for Gareca, Yotun is undisputed because like, I don't think because of him, the player himself, but I think like he sees that partnership between him and Tapia as key to his success. And let's be honest, they're, they're the most experienced midfield pair that we got in. For this match, you want like the best currently. I know Yotun really hasn't been at his best recently, but you hope that he can like try like to rise up to the occasion and like pull up of like a great midfield performance. But I do definitely see maybe who knows maybe Gareca could pull a surprise and like start Ganchita Gonzalez on the midfield considering that he's been on great form of sporting Cristalin. Ganchita has shown that he can definitely contribute to the national team when when he's ready. Gareca has said um in interviews a surprise that he's still playing in Peru. Um after being back after his uh, time in Chile um, for a while now. And I think uh, if we've mentioned it on the pod a few times, it's uh, a class act in the midfield for Cristal. And it is, yeah, incredible. He's, um, he hasn't been um, uh, signed by uh, some of these bigger clubs, maybe in, uh, maybe in other leagues. As looking at this, looking at this table, obviously we've got uh, Uruguay uh, 22 points in fourth, us in 21. 
Um, just below is uh, Chile and Colombia, 19 and 17, respectively. Um, so this game, for Uruguay, a win will um, could pretty much guarantees them uh, that fourth spot, really. Um, and that for us, a draw um, keeps us in the mix going into uh, the Paraguay game. Um, with this, with this Paraguay game following um, straight following after next week, uh, Renato, how 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 do you see Paraguay coming out? Uh, see, we've come, they're they're out of um, contention for Qatar, nothing to play for, but they've brought in some new young players into their squad too, are uh, fighting for places. Yeah, I, I feel like with Paraguay, they're going to be using those last two games as maybe like to get a glimpse into the future of Paraguay because even though they're out of the Qatar. Um, you definitely can tell that they're not going to be playing competitive matches in a long time after this, the last two qualifying cycles. So they want to like try test out to them to their best to see how they are currently against the other communable countries. And it's interesting that Mario Suleto is taking these two like young players of uh, Julio Enciso and Roberto Morales and who have been highly spoken about in the Paraguayan press. Do I do I think Paraguay are going to go all out against Peru? Honestly, I feel like they, you could tell that maybe in their mindset that they do want to cause an upset against us and maybe they want to be, hopefully not on a mission to honor or dreams for Qatar, but I think that also our fears would depend on like how we how we go against Uruguay. Like ideally, we need a win against Uruguay and Montevideo and take those three points. And even if we win, like, that also puts pressure on Uruguay more because, like, the, their last match is against Chile, and Chile is also it could be in contention to make B pool surprise move. But if we lose, then not only puts more pressure on us, but it also puts more pressure on Chile because now they a win. If, if we were to lose, would take Chile to the World Cup. So there's still spots to be gra- like taken. It just all depends on us. That's the big thing right now is uh, coping with the pressure. Um... We'll, we'll see a lot about how these players are prepared um, in the big games um, and the experiences they've they've had uh, in their careers, some short careers, some longer careers than others. Kevin, we when we talk about this pressure, um, the press at the moment and us as well, we're talking about Chile having Brazil um, this week, um, expecting them to we're hoping that they uh lose in brazil this week so that there's still that chance that we can go to paraguay and the uh, the pressure will be slightly more off as they're out of contention for qualification and we'll get that three points and we'll get there but there's there is the issue that this can this can get in the heads of the uh peruvian players with so much pressure on a final game where you have to win um whereas if we go out and try and get the win against against uruguay there's less, less, and we're in a much stronger position going into the uh, final game. Yeah, I think I think that could be an issue, um, depending on how the the match ends in, in Uruguay, how high our, our spirits will be when we go into the match with Paraguay. I think, um, you know, Paraguay has done, you know, a, a poor campaign in general, uh, this qualifying cycle. So I'm not the most worried, especially since got has you know a very good record against Paraguay at this point but I I do understand that there could be pressure um, especially if we don't get you know some kind of early goal because the fans will be demanding you know us to win and sometimes fans uh, are not reasonable and want you know not to just to win but to 
to show off, to play well, to to uh, to do more, more than just get the job done, if you know what I mean. Um, I think this Uruguay match is is very important because this is our first, like not our first, but this is our test. This is our test to see uh, a very good side that's standing in our way of the World Cup of a direct spot. If we beat Uruguay, to me, we're gonna have a direct spot. Um, so it, it and Uruguay knows that they have they have more of a challenge because if they don't win at home, you know they have that pressure right now. They're gonna close their last their last round against Chile away, and this Chile, you know, it's it's they technically still have a chance, but it's it's the last match. It might be the last match of their golden generation. It might be the last match of Alexis Sanchez, Edu Vargas, all the guys you used to see. The guys that won two Copa Americas, and they might want to go out with a bang. So this in front of their crowd, and that could complicate Uruguay. If Uruguay loses to Peru, their whole their whole World Cup uh, dream gets thrown in, in jeopardy. So I, I think it, it's going to be you know Peru and Uruguay are going to go at this all out. All out. It's going to be a beautiful match in in terms of you know for the neutrals for for myself you know I'm I'm gonna have you know uh, a Rosario in one hand. Some, some, you know, some pisco in the other, and hope for the best. Yeah, it's gonna be, uh, it's gonna be exciting. Uh, either way, very tense. Hopefully, not quite as um, uh, terrifying as the Colombia game, um, as the Colombia game was. Uh, we, we we've touched on um, obviously Chile's part going up against Brazil. Uh, if uh, if Peru do win. Uh, in Uruguay, um, it leaves Chile, if Chile were to lose in Brazil, it leaves them three points behind Uruguay with a better goal difference um, at the moment, depending on the, uh, depending on the results um, on Thursday. So that, that would put them in a, uh, that game would be uh, absolutely incredible. Should, uh, should there be a draw or Uruguay win? Uh, we're currently only two points above um, Chile going into this Paraguay game, so there'll be a lot of pressure knowing that we can be caught. Colombia as well could could um, go up to um, twenty points with a win um, in their game. Obviously, they are um, at home to Bolivia. A long period without goals for Colombia, but you could see them changing things um, against that side and putting themselves in as out, outside contenders. There's all this there's all this talk, Renato, um, about this uh, Uruguay game being a must win um, for some, or don't worry, we'll beat Paraguay. Do we think that um, this is going to affect Gareca's um, decisions on how to play at all, or, or do you think he's got his? He he would have already had his game plan going into this to win. I imagine, uh, as I said before, I imagine that Gareca is going to be going with a similar approach that he did in Embarquia against Colombia in Montevideo, where Peru played very defensive, uh, a very defensive match, and wait for the right moment to do a counterattack. Although with Uruguay, I mean, I imagine they'll find ways to break that with their midfield because I mentioned before that they already got a midfield that knows how to put the pressure on. Also, with, like, the attack as well. And they also do counterattack when needed. Um, I do hope that Gaiesi will be on his best, best playing in the state in, like, in the same way he did in La Bombardera in 2017, where I'd say it was one of his best matches with the Selección. Um, but 
no matter what, like the main goal of this of for Peru is direct qualification. I mean, sure, fifth place isn't good, it's better than nothing, and we would have a chance regardless. But let's be real, we want to go to instantly to the World Cup without like having to deal with another map like mandatory FIFA day where we have to like like put like our players' bodies on the line and all and the worst thing is that um the playoff representative for, against Gomiable Nation would be against the a- the Asian Football Confederation. So it could be either Australia, Japan, and definitely not gonna be easier compared to like the last time we faced New Zealand. I guess say for me, yeah, it's one of the one of the key parts uh, of this team and one of the big leaders, it seems. Uh, it's just broken the clean sheet record um, in the MLS for Orlando SC. Uh, Orlando City is his team there. He has got the most clean sheets for the club um, in, in their short history. He's a key part of this team. Um, Kevin, you mentioned earlier the uh, obviously the number of players on bookings. Um, Would this this is going to take a a big part of the game plan um, going into this uh, Uruguay game. If players start picking up these bookings and are unavailable, um, uh, if uh, Tapia, for example, picks up a yellow and is unavailable, then changes will really need to be made to protect maybe others who are on yellow cards to make sure they're still available for this Paraguay game. Yeah, I, I think Gareca, you know, took that in mind because we have so many midfielders. Uh, when I look at the call-up, you know, you have, uh, you know, Tapia Yotun Peña, obviously. Then you have, you know, Calcatera, Cartagena, Canchita, Concha, and then Bayon. Bayon, who really, you know, we haven't seen him in the Selección in a while. But uh, I think because of Aquino's absence, he's gotten the call up and, and Gareca saw that, you know what, I might need an extra defensive midfielder because, you know, if I, I'm probably going to lose Tapia. Let's like if, if someone's going to get carded, it's, it's probably going to be, you know, either a defensive midfielder or one of our defenders is I think is the most likely. So Tapia, I, I guess in this case was Gareca's concern. So he's like, OK, I got Cartagena, I got Bayon and, you know, worst comes to worst. You could throw in uh, Calcatera or um, Abram, you know, one of the defenders at that point, uh, I believe. Garces, he tried in only as a DM once, but don't quote me on that one. Um, but yes, uh, with with that concern, I definitely see how the how the call up was done this time around. I would I would ex- personally, I expect at least two yellow cards. Hopefully, it's nothing too serious. The good thing on our end is we you know we have you know if Collins isn't there, we have Abraham. If Trauco isn't there, we got Lopez. If um, you know, Tapia, Cartagena. The the only real, you know, drop-off that I see is is maybe in the attack. You know, if we lose a Carrillo, a Cueva. No, wait, not Cueva. If we lose a Carrillo, we're going to have to deal with probably Flores, who, you know, in fairness, has, is doing well at the moment. He got a goal in each of the matches the last, last um, qualifying rounds. But I don't see him as a starter yet. So... Gareca will have to manage that as the game progresses. If we can get some kind of lead, maybe we'll just shut up shop, protect Carillo or uh, or Tapia, whoever Gareca thinks that he might need for the Paraguay match. I, I could. Carillo, um, yeah, is the one of the key parts of this attack. He's so so confident on the ball. He's so strong holding it up. Um, and Edison Flores as well has been such a key part of um, the goal scoring uh, with both goals uh, with against Ecuador and Colombia. 
Um, but Renato, I think we see we see him as one of those impact subs who maybe could come on for Carrillo in the second half to um, protect that um, protect that booking and to make sure that Carrillo is available for Paraguay. Yeah, and I consider that we're talking about Edison Flores and subs. Actually, I'd say uh, like a silver line for us because like I feel like in the in type these type of matches working for you in the attack like you maybe you need like that game changing substitute that can like turn the page around for you and in the last day fifa day that's what edison Fruis was like he wasn't a starter but like when he came on as a substitute he changed the match for us he he helped us win against colombia and he gave us life against ecuador where it seemed like it was like it was a lost three points for us so i'm sure like edison Fruis will still be that game changing stop and hope for at least a goal or two in one of these we certainly do um the the quality we possess in the counter-attack uh when those opportunities come will all be definitely on the edge of our seats uh Renato's had the chance to have a chat with um paraguay ralph ralph hannah um who's going to now give just some of the um the thoughts from the um, paraguay side um uh, on the tour on their qualification, uh, disappointments, um, and their team going into these these games. All right, and I'm joined with um, Ralph Hanna, um, the Paraguay's perspective. Um, you guys could follow him through Paraguay Ralph on Twitter. Um, Ralph, introduce yourself, please. Hey, Renato, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm Ralph Hanna. I lived in Paraguay for a long time. Uh, about seven years or so and more recently I've, I've relocated to Miami but still following the football there so as you mentioned people can find me at Paraguay Ralph on Twitter and I also do an English language podcast on Paraguayan football similar to you guys with Peru we do on Paraguayan football and it's called Guarani Vision. All right <laughs> it's all great to have that we're in uh, Paraguayan's perspective for this Especially even though, like, I know, like, Ralph is, like, actually from, like, England. But it's still nice to know that he has actually, like, been for Paraguay for many years. And nice to know, like, what we get a little two points of views, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. All right. So, Ralph, um, tell me everything. Like, what's your current thoughts on the current situation of the Paraguayan national team is in their final two matches in the, in the 2022 qualifiers? Yeah, well, it's been it's been quite a disappointing campaign or a very disappointing campaign. Obviously, they they don't have a mathematical chance now of getting to to Qatar with these last two games. They were managed by Eduardo Berizzo for most of the campaign, and <clears throat> many people think that that maybe the Paraguayan FA took too long to to take action with some of the the poor results he was having. And they eventually sacked him or, or, well, he departed from the Paraguay setup and they brought in uh, Guillermo Barasqueloto from, from Argentina, who's been in charge for four games, for four World Cup qualifiers and has lost all four. So Paraguay are not, are not looking very, very good or there's not much positivity around the team thinking that things can, can turn around very different in contrast to Peru's other opponent uh, that will be Uruguay, right? Because Uruguay were in a similar position and, and Diego Alonso came in and, and actually started getting results straight away. But with Paraguay, it's it's been quite 
I would say quite chaotic in a way. The the way the team is set up, there's not really a, a system or a style at the moment. And now what we're seeing for these last two games is quite rightly, I think, a lot of the players that were involved in the campaign have, have not been called up. And so there's quite a lot of new players that it looks like uh, Baros Quilota will try and try and use in the in the first game against Ecuador and then against Peru in, in Lima. Just some of the younger players, people from the local league that, that are doing quite well. And also bringing back a couple of players we, we hadn't seen for a while. For example, someone like Blas Riveros, who's in Bromby in Denmark. He had a very long injury, so he's back in, uh, assumedly, to play left back. Whereas someone like Santiago Arsemendia, who had been a left back for much of the tournament, hasn't he hasn't been called up. He stays in, in Cadiz in Spain. So it's not it's not like <clears throat> very positive or, or people aren't really expecting much, but I think they are excited to see some of these new players and see how they adapt to, to international football. Yeah, um, from what I have already known is that Parawise, they're basically out of Qatar. Um, a mix of this bad management, bad game planning from both Idrites and of course, even with Chuleto, like I know he recently took over, but I don't think like they are they're as better. In fact, I I argue that they're actually not they're doing worse. Like you like with the squad Paraguay has, like especially for with an underrated defensive like that consists of Gustavo Gomez, Junior Alonso, Omar Adarete, Roberto Rojas, a nice quality midfield with Mateus Villasanti, Richard Sanchez. And of course, you got like your star player Miguel Almiron. You did you expect that Paraguay would at least try to compete for the fifth place spot? But no, like they, I feel like they just like their example, like of a race car trying to like the they they have the right wheels, but somehow the tire ends up flat. Like, but considering that we also could talk about the score, like tell me, like one thing I do I've noticed with this upcoming Paraguay squad that. Um, Scoletto has called up two notable like like new newbies to the, like the national team with Roberto Morales of Cerro Porteño and the like the wonder kid Julio Enciso of Libertad. Like tell me. Yeah, that's I mean that's where the excitement lies, I think, for a lot of Paraguay fans is Julio Enciso has played before for the national team. He made his debut in the in the Copa America uh, under Berriso. But he's come on. He he was linked to a move to Brighton in January in the in the transfer window. What everything from what I understand from the different sources I spoke to is that both clubs were in agreement. Libertad is his club in Paraguay and Brighton in the Premier League. And it was even the player was in agreement. It was kind of the agents at the last time had issues with some of the the commissions or the fees or something and being a. a he had a very short period where he could actually move because he only turned 18 towards the end of January and they just ran out of time. So there, there's a possibility he still ends up in the Premier League in for next season. You never know. But the way he's reacted to that in the Paraguayan League has been exceptional. He's, he's joint top scorer alongside Robert Morales. So one thing Julio Enciso didn't quite have last year in his game was the goal scoring. He, he had everything else all the other aspects. He's really good at taking on players. Uh, he's very good in link-up play, but he wasn't always finishing chances. Now he's doing just the just that. 
And so he's looking really very much like the, the most exciting talent in the country. And then you have Robert Morales, who's an interesting case because when he was very young, when he was in CISO's age, for example, he was at Olympia and he didn't get any game time in the first team. I think he only played one, one senior game. And so he ended up getting picked up by Cerro Porteño, the crosstown rivals. And again, uh, maybe a slow start, but, but when he did get into the team, he was by then past his teenage years, he was, he was 20. He did start to, to seem to adapt well. And what he's really good at is, is finding space. So you have Julian Ciso as a player that likes the ball and will just run at people uh, at pace and get in behind defenders. But then Morales is, is a much more, I would say, kind of intelligent uh, player in, in the way he moves off the ball. Uh, so I think that could be a really exciting partnership with those two, with those two playing together. The the one doubt we might have there is they both done very well playing with more experienced players. So last season Morales was playing a lot with Mauro Bocelli. This year he's playing with with uh, uh, Marcelo Martins and Julian Cesar was playing a lot last season with with Tacuara Cardoso. And now Cardoso has been on the bench, but he's been playing with Roque Santa Cruz. So they, so I don't know how they will fare when they go together because they're very used to playing with more experienced players. But I think it could be a very exciting partnership if they if they do end up taking the field together. Yeah, and the way I see it, both these players have everything to be for the future of the attack of Barrowai, especially in CISO, considering that he's like. 18 recently just turned 18 years old which and the fact that he's been playing like professional football for the last i think two or three years like a 2004 talent that's quite something like a noteworthy fact and that he's currently like scoring a lot in the Paraguayan league i wouldn't be surprised if ncc would be moving like to a reputable team whether it's in the americas or in europe well but i definitely think he's going to be leaving Paraguay at some point um regarding there's one doubt I do see in the Paraguay squad, though, and that's regarding Miguel Amiron. Um, I've been noticing that he's not been playing for Newcastle, and, and even though like Paraguay's qualif- qualification campaign is over at this point, would you find a concern that's coming into these two matches um, and to see what alternatives Juleto will have to do? Yeah, that's right. Almiron has been, has been a really difficult case i would say for paraguay he's he's probably gone from from better to worse during the campaign and that's partly to go with his his club form because under steve bruce he he got a lot more time at newcastle but where since eddie howe came in he he hasn't really looked almiron very often and i think recently he he played a game and it was i think his 100th game for newcastle but it had it had been a, a really, really a while until I think he'd even come off the bench because he's, yeah, he hasn't been getting much game time. And then Almiron has an issue, I think, locally where after one particular game, he kind of criticized a lot of ex players. A lot of ex players in Paraguay are now, of course, pundits and, and on the TV, on the radio. And he sort of criticized some of them, which didn't go down very well because he was talking about people that had been to two or three World Cups, whereas Almiron has failed to qualify for two or three World Cups. So it was, um, I think he's he's struggling a bit in terms of not feeling much support from from maybe fans and from from the footballing community in Paraguay and also not, not playing particularly well. Um, 
what we also saw is the the one player that came in. He he was people were hoping he would be that creative spark for Paraguay. That was the idea originally, but the player that did much better in that role, I think, was Kaku Romero. Kaku Romero is is somebody who's um, like many Paraguayans has has Argentinian family, but also qualifies for Paraguay. So he came came through the the footballing system in Argentina. Then he was in MLS for New York Red Bulls. Um, at the moment, he's out in Saudi Arabia, but he picked up a really bad injury. So he's been missing for the recent games, which I think is also one of the reasons Paraguay have failed to score. If you look back at the last time Paraguay did score a goal, you have it was either Kaku Romero was involved or the other Romero, Angel, Angel Romero, uh, who's now at Cruz Azul and is back in the squad. Uh, Angel Romero and Oscar Romero missed the last two games, the last qualifying games because they were without a club, because they'd left San Lorenzo. They weren't playing. They were training a lot with the national team or, or using the national team facilities, but Barros Queloto didn't see them as being match fit, and, and they missed out. Um, alongside Almiron, that isn't performing very well, they just missed so much creativity. So hopefully some of that's back with Angel Romero back in there. We'll see what Almiron can do, although we, we shouldn't expect too much based on recent performance. And then another player talking about the, the kind of creativity, somebody they've who's also having a good season locally is Josue Colman. Josue Colman is, came through Cerro Porteño's youth system, got a move to Orlando in the MLS. It didn't go great for him there. <laughs> and he's come back to, to Guarani in the local league. And he's starting to, to find a lot of form, played very well in the Copa Libertadores games, although Guarani didn't, didn't qualify through the qualifying phase. But he's looking like a, he could be an interesting player. And he actually plays in a very similar role to, to Almiron, likes to play sort of on the left-hand side, but but can cut in, he can run at players, he's, he's very quick. So maybe he gets a bit of game time. Yeah, um, that interesting squad that, um, of Paraguay at this point, but the another thing I do want to ask is like the next two opponents, and of course regarding Peru, because how do you see like Paraguay going into these last two matches? Like I, again, like I know that they're no longer in the Qatar, the race to Qatar, but you'd think that they would want to use these matches at least to get a glimpse of what can be seen for in the 2026 cycle, or maybe like the, as a mode of confidence to see even what Shuleto can offer for them, if he has anything. Yeah, I think the future of Paraguay is so uncertain at the moment because you have, you're talking about 2026, and yeah, that's right. I mean, just before then, we'll have a Copa America, but there's really not that many games, competitive games now, after these two for Paraguay. So... There's a feeling that that maybe Barosquelotto won't even be in charge for the next cycle. He was brought in by the Paraguayan FA president uh, Robert Harrison, but Robert Harrison's tenure ends now, I think, in May of this year, and he's already said he's not going to be looking for re-election. So there's the possibility that the new president comes in and thinks, you know, what I want something totally different for the for the national team. So that there's that uncertainty. Then there's the players that that have been involved a lot, but weren't called up this time. Let's think of some examples. Uh, Tony Sanabria, for example, or you have somebody like Lorenzo Melgarejo. Um, there's, a, there's a few players like that. Santiago Asamendi I already mentioned. 
So there's these players that, hey, maybe uh, do they not have a future or will they have a future when the new manager comes in? So there's all this uncertainty. What does that mean for these two games? What I can see from the squad is that Baroskeloto hasn't messed around too much with the defense. So I think we're going to see a, a fairly similar defense. And then where he's going to experiment, I, I assume, is more in those attacking roles. And that, I, I hope, makes Paraguay a bit more exciting. They, they might even score a goal, right? Um, but I think it will make the games a bit more open. Paraguay have nothing to lose. So when they go to when they go to Peru, for example, in, in that game in Lima, I think they'll go out to, to try and look to, to get some kind of result. I don't think they're just going to sit back and, and play for a draw because there's there's no there's no points with there's no kind of reason to, to try and play defensively. So that could I guess that could um, that could favor Peru because I know I've I was there when they beat Paraguay 4-1 in Asuncion in the last qualifying cycle and and they were set up really well by Gareca to play on the break and to play on the counter-attack and exploit spaces. So they might have that option there, even though they're the home team. Uh, I would guess Paraguay are going to go and, and give a go of it because they have nothing to lose. Actually, with the consider that you just spoken about Gareca, um, when you think of like the re- like Gareca's tenure of Peru, the one opponent that he seems like to get the most out of when it comes to like winning against is actually Paraguay. Um, I believe almost in all the matches, like Gareca has won almost all the matches. It's like I think it was just recently, like two almost two years ago, like that Peru drew like two two against Paraguay in Asuncion and. Honestly, that match was kind of open-ended where, like, Paraguay were creating chances, but Peru were also creating chances. But, unfortunately, Peru had to concede due to some defensive errors on the right side and also, like, uh, got Sombrano kind of losing his head to the point where he felt nervous. Um, With this, like, Peru side, I do expect that Gareca is going to go all out no matter what because, like, no matter who it is, Paraguay, you got to, like... Peru is like has unlike Paraguay, they have something to like to go for. And it, those last two matches for them are like do or die. If you don't win, then you're out of Qatar. If you win, then you're in Qatar. Um, but at the same time, I also don't think Suleto is also gonna like let it go easily because I do think he'll try to go if like at least a result, as you say. Um, before we close this out, um, I just want to say, um, what's your predictions for this like? Oh, for Peru versus Paraguay. Well, you, you made a good point about Gareca having a good time against Paraguay. I think the last time Paraguay beat Peru was a friendly in 2014. So you're going back eight years. Um, I'm trying to remember who the manager was. Probably it was Chiquiase in 2014 for Paraguay. But yeah, it's a, it's a team they've struggled against, especially this group of players that, that Peru have, have now had for a while that took them to the, the last World Cup. Paraguay have never won in Lima in World Cup qualifiers, so it would be historic if they did manage to, to get a win. But I think based on, on form, the way Paraguay have been playing and, and really finding it so difficult to score, they're by far the team that have scored the least goals in this, this qualifiers. Um, I, I can't see them really winning. I mean, I think it, Peru can, can probably get like a 1-0 or a 2-0 win. I hope I'm wrong. I hope Paraguay can, can do something. But nothing, nothing so far suggests that, 
they're they're on the right track to go and and pull off history and get their first qualifying win in Lima. Yeah, I mean, it's football. Anything can happen. Like, who knows? Like, perhaps the Iron Viking like can still struggle against Peru, or somehow like, and I hope and I pray it doesn't happen that somehow they manage to turn into the Paraguay of the two thousands and early twenty tens. But it's a wait and see. Um, Prediction I'm expecting, I'm hoping we win for, for my case that at least like a 3 0 like result. But what about you? Like what result do you expect realistically? No, I think I think like I say, I think like a 1-0 or 2-0 to to Peru is is kind of reasonable. I mean, I'm looking at some of Peru's recent games and, and at home they they haven't really conceded many to I mean uh, I think they they drew the last game right to Ecuador, but then they beat Bolivia to nil. They beat Chile to nil. They beat Venezuela to nil. So uh, Paraguay is in that kind of bracket of the Bolivias, Chiles, and and Venezuelas at the moment. So I think uh, a home win like a one nil or two nil is is definitely possible. Yeah, and we also achieved, like achieved an incredible result in Barranquilla against Colombia, which is some a result I thought I would never see in my lifetime, but <laughs> it happened. Yeah, that's right. They're on they're on good form, and and Paraguay is the exact opposite. They're really they've really struggled to, to even throughout the qualifiers put any kind of good run together. Yeah, that's like contrasting like directions because Peru I'm going to be honest with you they had a terrible start in the qualifiers where they lost four other games and it didn't we all thought all hope was lost until we beat Ecuador and Quito and then our confidence started getting back and thanks to Gareca's management we're now dreaming for Qatar and we just hope that those two results go in our favor and and the same thing just unfortunately can't be said about Paraguay where I just feel like they were just all over the place and Unfortunately, bad decisions came into a huge consequence, and you just gotta hope that for the for the like the sake of a Paraguayan's point of view, that the future will look better and for the better that possibly they can qualify for the next World Cup. Um, Ralph, I want to say thank you so much for participating in this segment, um, with the Peruvian Waltz. Um, Keila, do you have any final messages to say? Um, no, just thank you very much for for the invite. For being able to talk about Paraguay and yeah like I say if people are more interested in Paraguayan football in in more depth we do a podcast Guarani Vision where you can hear us talking a lot about local league when the national team does better we'll talk about them we're not talking about them too much right now um but yeah thanks it's a, it's a pleasure to to talk to you Renato and to to be invited on the show uh yes and we hope that we can do some more stuff like this in the, in the future thank you so much Ralph all right thank you thank you very much um ralph for being uh being part of the um pod with us today um Renato, thanks for um speaking with um david and ralph uh, is there any um last comments you'd like to make going into these uh going into these games yeah well, let me just say that these two upcoming matches are gonna be like the like the death of our lives because of peru are like are on the verge of a World Cup, but as I said, todo depende de de Peru. Like everyone needs to be on their A game and know that we need to win these matches. Like the thing that like at the beginning of these qualifiers, it seemed like 
any hope for Qatar was lost. And then we had like the spirit, the team spirit that has brought us their dream to Qatar. And we have the opportunity. I don't want lose, like lost. I, I want those three, six points and we go straight to Qatar. And I hope these players are up for the task and they're ready. Like they're mentally ready. They're physically ready and that they're on point and they're going to leave like a great name in the name of Peru. And let's just hope everything goes for the best. Yeah, let's let's hope. Um, Kevin, we've well, it's touched you. We we probably wrote ourselves off uh, at the beginning of qualifiers, and here we are going into these last two games with so much riding on both. Uh, tell us how you're feeling and what do you rec- what do you feel is going to happen? You guys can follow me at kmontalvon7 on Twitter, and it's been a wild ride. It's been a wild ride. I, we we came from one of the worst starts that I, I can recall. And we really just fought back to be where we, we are right now. Um, you know, given given that, I think we should all be, you know, appreciative of this team. It it's, it's, has a lot of fighting spirit. They put in the work. Uh, Gareca's found replacements where there weren't any before. Man is making magic, but the players are stepping up. Everyone, you know, Cariba, everyone's getting informed at the right time. Uh, I'm happy. I'm nervous, and you know, all I'm gonna say to you guys is, is I think I see us leaving with points from Montevideo. Arriba Peru. Arriba Peru, indeed. Uh, well, this is uh, you'll be able to um, follow the three of us on Twitter and keep an eye on the Peru Waltz uh, Twitter page to see how we're coping throughout this uh, throughout this next week of action uh, and the uh, roller coaster of emotions we'll all be going through. Uh, I'd like to thank David again, who you, um, who you can follow at, um, at Uruguay Heroes um, on Twitter, um, and Ralph Hanna, who you can follow at, Alf, at Paraguay Ralph um, on Twitter as well. Thanks for, um, for them to uh, getting their, their sides of um, their sides from their countries um, across to us. You can follow me at, at Mike Rice, 1983, and Let's keep our fingers crossed and let's keep our faith and let's uh, let's hope for um, uh, an incredible end to this uh, qualification campaign and our next steps uh, into Qatar. Thanks very much. Bailón y Alberto Gallardo.